Today's episode is brought to you by Riverside, your online recording studio. Alrighty, everyone, welcome to the Creator Hub. I'm Lloyd. And I'm Ashley. And this is the Creator Hub, the creator podcast for the culture. My guest today writes for various publications. You actually may have read some of her work on The Cut, The New York Times, Condé Nast, Traveler, Slate, and so many more. She also just started her own newsletter called Tea Time. Please help me welcome Tarbiro to the podcast. How are you? Hey, guys. I'm good. How are you? <laughs> we are so good and we're so glad you're here. Yes. I feel like for me, this has been like a long time in the making because I feel like I've asked you before to be on the show, right? Like a It's long time possible. Ago. I'm really good at dodging questions like that. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm glad uh, it's finally happening and I'm glad you are here. Um, number one, what are you most excited about this week? We're recording this during the week of Christmas and you're in town from Atlanta to D.C., What are you most excited about this week? I am really excited to be seeing my parents and my sister who live out here. Um, Mm -hmm. I haven't been back in a couple of months. Mm -hmm. So it's just nice to just have some quality time with them. Yeah, absolutely. Does it feel nostalgic being back? Like, I mean, I feel like we're like Ashley and I are, are new to D.C. And so for us, this is like a very exciting place. But it seems like every single person we know is like coming back here. It's so funny because... I think Thanksgiving sort of the big one for people I went to high school with where everyone sees each other. Yeah. But I wasn't feeling all that nostalgic and I've been back for like 10 days at this point. But I just saw a friend outside this building when I was coming in and I was like, oh, my God, it just brought back this flood of memories. And now I've got the feels. That's awesome. I love that. Well, I'm so excited that you're here as I think about like our conversation today. I think about like my journey podcasting and I started podcasting maybe like two or three years ago. Um, And at first when I started, the idea was just sort of like, how can I start something, continue it and make sure that I don't get like fatigued out. But now I'm kind of at this point where like next year, I really want to focus on like improving my craft. Um, And I think part of that is improving just like, you know, how I ask questions, how I can be a little more in tune with my guests. And so I'm so excited because I think your journalism background, you'll have a lot to share with us. But I want to start by asking you just like, how did you get into journalism? Yes, I want you're so young and so accomplished already. I'm very curious about your background as well. Oh, thanks, guys. Um, I. Oh, my goodness. I was studying international affairs um, at John Cabot University in Rome in 2012. And I took, I knew I liked writing. I'd always known that I liked Mm. writing, uh, but I didn't quite know what to do with that. And my sophomore year, I went into a journalism class. It was like an intro to reporting class um, with this woman, Judy Backrack. And we had the class on Tuesday and Thursday. I went to class Tuesday. I came back Thursday. I walked out of class on Thursday and I was like, I'm going to be a reporter. Like, this is it. I just loved it. Like, I loved the assignment. I was like, I could get paid to talk to people, ask them (laughs) questions and write about it. That's crazy. Um, So that was kind of the beginning of it. And I just loved kind of reporting around Rome, that type of thing. And I ended up applying to grad school for journalism, moved to New York for that in 2014. Uh, And that was like a grueling, grueling year. And then (laughs) then what happened? I feel like I'm walking you through my resume. I'm so sorry. (laughs) And then I worked at Reuters for a year right out of school. And I saw an opening at the Times for an editorial assistant to work for two columnists, went in, did a bunch of interviews. 
did not get the job. I was devastated. <laughs> and then somebody like called me or emailed me and said, you know what? We're going to have a really similar job, like almost the exact job, the exact same job opening in a couple of months. And then a few days later they called and they were like, actually it's kind of open now. Are you interested? Wow. So then I went back into the times, did a bunch more interviews and ended up getting that job. And then I sort of just worked my way up through the times from there. Yeah. That's what, so cool. What was it about like the actual experience of that like assignment that really stood out to you and caught your attention specifically about like, like in that specific report? Which one? Like the, in college? In college, yeah. Oh my gosh. I just loved the idea of having to like force myself to talk to other people mm. because- I was always good at talking to my friends and then talking to strangers that I knew I wouldn't have to talk to again. Mm -hmm. But in Rome, it was like I had to practice doing it in Italian. Sometimes I had to jump back and forth between English and Italian, which I was not good at, but it forced <laughs> me to do it. I, I felt yeah. like it was just something that constantly forced me to do something that I was scared to do. Yeah. Um, so that was really fun. <laughs> and then that Thursday class, when we came back, we had to do a news quiz and I realized that that was fun. I was like, oh, I'm already reading the news. I'm already watching the, I, I already know like, what's going on. Like right. I'm, I'm tuned in. Um, and then I'm trying to think like what else happened. It just felt like the perfect marriage of things that I already loved. Right. Yeah. yeah. I'm curious to know what has been the most amazing story you've ever done. Like what's that one story that you you've done that was like, I can't believe I got the chance to do that. Oh my gosh. That's a really good question. <laughs> I, I've been really lucky that I've gotten to do so many stories and they sort of check different boxes or mm -hmm. I'm, I'm proud of them in different ways. Right. So like the most fun story, the most fun I had doing a story was like going to Dollywood and interviewing Dolly Parton. Wow. And I grew up on Dolly. Like I, I love Love Dolly. My whole family loves her. That was really fun for me. Mm -hmm. um, not necessarily the most like meaningful thing that I've done, but I really enjoyed doing it. And I loved that I had editors who were like, okay, go do it. Yeah. You know? <laughs> <laughs> um, and then in terms of just a story that I'm really proud of is I, when I was a national correspondent at the Times, I was one of the reporters uh, covering the trial against the guys who um, killed Ahmaud Arbery. Mm. And that was like a real, um, like a real like commitment in terms of coverage, right? Like I ended up spending a lot of time uh, in Brunswick, Georgia to tell that story. And, you know, I was part of a team. I was really kind of just helping out, but sort of seeing that story play out, um, seeing meet, you know, meeting his family and just learning a different way of, covering a story was really, I think probably that's like the most meaningful story I've worked on. Yeah. Um, what is sort of like, you know, I think specifically in situations like that, where you may be covering something that is like emotionally draining or that does like have real impacts on how you feel real time. And I think all of us as like viewers watching this get to experience it sort of like from the outside in, but you're sort of like from the inside, not only having to deal with like your emotions, but still also tell this story that's happening for the rest of the world. How do, how do you sort of like balance that? Um, you know, some stories are harder than others. That was certainly one that was difficult. 
Uh, and that was, you know, there were two trials for those men. There was the state trial that everybody was watching in the fall, like up until Thanksgiving of 2021. And then there was the federal hate crimes trial that mm-hmm. happened in February of this year. And, you know, the first trial was really difficult because, you know, we all saw that video and yeah. we heard a lot of testimony and all of that. But I wasn't sitting inside the courtroom for that trial. Yeah. For the second one, I was in the courtroom. Um, and at that point, it was seeing a lot of the same images again and hearing a lot of the same testimony again. And I found I found that really challenging. Um, and. I, you know, I had really good reporters that I was working with as well, who are older and wiser, and I could turn to them and talk to them about sort of how do we cope with this? Like, how do you you know? And they were checking in. That's the other thing. Um, I worked with a correspondent named Audra Birch, who's just the best person ever. And she would check in a lot. You know, she was like, how's it going? How are you doing? My editor did the same thing. Um, That's great. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I felt supported. I love that. Um, I, I can't help but ask, you know, you and I are both from Zimbabwe um, and I'm so just curious, walk me through sort of like the process in discovering this thing that you think you want to do as a profession and explaining that to your parents and how they <laughs> respond to that. And, you know, no what was doctor, no I, lawyer, a journalist. What? <laughs> that is the funniest question. I, oh my God, my parents we're like, you want to write, <laughs> but they knew I loved writing and they yeah. knew I was good at it. You know, I had done well in like English classes and literature classes and writing classes for my whole life. So it wasn't a crazy thing, um, but I don't think they thought I wanted to pursue it as a profession. <laughs> and, you know, they were supportive. They were like, let's see how it goes. But if you can't make this work in a couple of years, you're going to need to move on. Like mm-hmm. there's no like starving artist stuff for us. Yeah. Like that's right. not, that's not what you're going to be doing. Um, so they were, they were good about that. I will say though, my mother feels the most proud when I am on television. <laughs> of and course. I'm, yeah. I'm like, mom, I, I, my story's on the front page of the New York times. And she's like, okay, but when are you going to be on TV? Wow. Right, <laughs> right. So funny. That's CNN. something they can have their friends tune in and watch yeah. and yeah. Exactly. It hits That's, different. It's TV. <laughs> I gotta get on TV. And for my dad, it's NPR because he's a big mm. NPR wow. listener. Yeah. Hey, just a quick sec. Here's something I bet you didn't know. When you record your podcast virtually using platforms like Zoom, they're literally lowering the quality of your audio and video to ensure that there is no lag during your call. This is why if you want your podcast to be the highest quality audio and video, you need Riverside. Now, you're probably wondering if this could help your podcast. I have a 15% off discount code for you to see for yourself. Use the promo code CREATORHUB and start creating with Riverside FM today. I I totally, totally get that. And one of the questions I wanted to ask you is because like sometimes as a creator, it kind of feels like things are happening very slow, even though they're happening really fast. Because when you tell other creators like what's happening in your life, they can uh, attest to the fact that, you know, it's pretty fast how things have happened. But if you're the one creating the content, it does sort of feel like things are taking forever to pick up. Um, And so when I look at you, I just feel like you've accomplished so much Mm. at a really young age. And so I'm just, I'm curious if you ever feel like 
you're running out of time or maybe that, you know, you're behind your time marker or whatever it may be. Um, just any timeline that you've put for yourself. I constantly feel that way <laughs> and I'm trying to fight it. I've really been trying to fight that uh, for the last several months. Um, I, I feel like I raced through my 20s and mm. I was like, okay, when am I writing a book? When am I going to have a podcast? When am I going to do a TV show? When am I gonna, like, there's so many big things I want to mm -hmm. do yeah. uh, or just want to try so many different things. I'm like, when am I writing a play? When am I going to write a movie? You know, I just want to write all sorts of things. Like I'm yeah. really hungry that way. Um, but I certainly have all, I think at every stage of my career, I've felt like I'm behind, which is crazy. And I think with the pandemic, like for a lot of people, I really just had to kind of pause and be like, you need to slow down. Mm -hmm. um, and I think moving to Atlanta from New York also forced that on me a little bit because it, I just needed to get off the New York hamster wheel. Like that yeah. was that wasn't working for me. Yeah, I can I, I can totally relate to that. And I think that certainly attests to just like how your environments can make such a huge difference and how you feel, um, the amount of pressure we put on ourselves. Um, so I, I totally, totally get that. Um, do you feel like, you know, can you explain to me just sort of like, you have an editor, can you explain just sort of like the process when you work as like a journalist? Like who is the person you're like pitching stuff to? What does the editor do? What is like your role? How do you like get ideas from like idea to like done? Ooh, okay. So let me ask you a question. Do you want to hear how it works if I'm pitching a story or if a story has been assigned to me? If you're pitching. Yeah. Okay. And do we want like a daily story or kind of a longer term project? Let's do daily. Okay. So if I'm working on like a daily news story, you know, it's, I might say, I might see something trending early in the morning and say, well, that looks interesting. I feel like I could write about that. That feels like it's in my little wheelhouse. So for me, that would be travel style culture. Um, and I'll send an editor a Slack message or an email and just say, hey, not sure if you've seen this thing is happening. I'd love to write about it. Here's what I think I want to say about it. Or these are the questions I have. Here are the kinds of people I want to talk to. Here are some of the experts. Here's sort of just regular people and like people affected by this who I'd like to talk to about it. And then the editor will get back to me and say yes or no. If they say yes, then I get going. I start reaching out to all those people. And the editor might say like, actually, I think we should sort of frame it this way and mm. also ask them these kinds of questions. So then I reach out to people. I'm setting up calls. I'm sending people emails and DMs and all of that stuff. Um, if it's a story that needs to be done at the end of the same day, then I'm also kind of keeping a really close eye on the time because things have to happen really fast. Um, and then, you know, I'll talk to people. I'll write as quickly as I can, send a draft of the story to my editor. The editor will go through it, send it back to me with questions and changes. What's working? What's not working? I'll go through it. If I need to make follow-up calls, I'll do that at that point. And then send it back to the editor. <laughs> Typically we're good for them to pass it on to another editor to look at. Um, but if they have any more questions, that's kind of when they would send them back to me, we might hop on the phone and talk about it. That's, that's the process at that point. And then once a second editor typically has looked at it, then it's, it's out of my hands. 
until somebody is yelling at me online about something. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Is there, I feel like there's, number one, so many different like things that need to go into like, you You assume that like when there's content being put out on like a daily basis or like short form stories that it's not as in-depth, but the amount of things you have to do to make that like daily story come to life, it's a ton of crap. That's a lot. It's it's a lot of work. Um, it's funny because I'm currently blogging for The Cut in the mornings and it's a little different because there I'm essentially aggregating, right? Mm. So I'm not doing any original reporting. Uh, I'm seeing what's going on or my editor and I are talking about what's going on and I'm sitting there and writing it and sending it. And we go through this, you know, a similar editing process where yeah. she edits it, she sends it back to me. I send it back to her. She sends it to the next editor. But that takes out all of the reporting process that takes several hours. So I'm learning to do that. I'm also learning to write with more of a voice. Yeah. And that's one of the things I love about The Cut and New York Magazine in general. So I feel like that's what that's the thing I'm trying to learn now is have fun with it. Just jump in. You don't right. need to call 20 people all the yeah. time. Yeah. yeah. And and I think part of like why I wanted to ask that question is I think at a certain point, creators get to a point where they are transitioning from just having like their own ideas, turning on the camera, hitting record and executing them to a point where they are now having to like reach out to brands and say like, hey, I have this amazing idea. Here's the pitch for this idea. And I think for some people, like letting someone else into like their creative process can either be discouraging if that person doesn't see like the vision and get what they're trying to convey um, or really encouraging. And we put too much stock in what other people think and how they root for us. And so I wanted to ask specifically just sort of like, um, number one, are there any ways where like, you know, things you've learned that help you better pitch and articulate your vision to someone else? And number two, when they don't understand that vision, just sort of like, what do you do? How does that make you feel? You know, I think the relationship at least in my experience, the relationship between a reporter and an editor is just so, so precious. <laughs> <laughs> That's a word for That's it. That's a great way for it. You know, it's, you have to really trust each other, right? Yeah. And you have to trust, like, I have to trust that. I'm going to use my travel editor at the Times, Amy Vership, as an example. She's such a good editor and I love writing for her. And I, I think we have a good relationship where she might just say like, I don't know, yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. no, that's, that's not a story. And I have learned that that's not personal at right. all. You know, if, and more almost always, I mean, not even almost always, always, it's actually not a story, right. Mm. Or it's not a story that's right for them. Right. So I think that's one way of thinking about it is when somebody says no, either like, like there's a possibility that it's, not a thing, but if you're really passionate about it, you can take it somewhere else. Yeah. You know, like there's stories I know I sometimes sort of in my mind, the things that I'm interested in travel and culture and style, there's a lot of overlap in those things, right? Like yeah. music and books and all of this stuff. There's a lot of overlap and I might pitch a story to a culture editor who says no. In my mind, and maybe this is because I'm crazy. If it's a story that I'm really passionate about, I am going to a style editor with it and I'm going to be like, Hey, I have an idea. Um, and if they say no, I might try the books editor or something, you know, but I also might just accept that it's not an, you know, it's not yeah. a good idea, but I never, I used to take that really personally. I think when I started out, I was like, gosh, I just have no good ideas. Nobody likes my ideas. 
And, you know, sometimes my ideas just aren't, it's not there all the way yet, or yeah. it's too late, or it's just not, it's, it's not a story. Right. You know, right. sometimes that happens. And I think that's okay. I think that's how you sort of figure out what works and what doesn't. And I think I answered your second question first. Yeah. So you now I'm trying both. to remember your first <laughs> no. question. Yo, I, I think you hit that right on the head. And I so resonate with that because I think a lot of times I'm pitching stuff to brands. Like I've, I've pitched like blog collaborations. And when people just say like, no, maybe because they don't have budget or whatever it may be, I take it so personal. I get so angry just because it feels like they don't understand what I'm trying to convey. Um, and so, so much of what I'm trying to learn now is just sort of like, how do I bet on myself? How do I believe in myself? And what does it look like to carry out this effort or this project without their partnership or their support? Uh, I'm, I'm super excited about like chatting with you because I think there's just a lot of things that I'm learning to deal with. There's like a creative that I wanted to pick your brain about, um, some of which we've already spoken about. But one thing that's really been top of mind is a lot of like what I'm trying to do for my audience is like get information that traditionally is like, gate kept and like give it to them specific to like creator economy stuff. And one question that I always want to ask people that I feel like would be so beneficial for my audience is like, Hey, as a creator, like how much money do you make and how do you make your money? And like, how can I get that to you? But when I get into scenarios with these creators, there's just so much tension. I can kind of tell they're already uncomfortable. And so I wanted to ask you just sort of like, what is your approach or do you have any advice on how podcasters specifically when they're interviewing guests can ask some of those hard questions that I think journalists are normally well prepared to ask. That's a great question. <laughs> you know, can I, can I add on to the last question? Yeah. Just because just on this idea of your, on this topic of your ideas, not always being a fit for people and the rejection that comes with that and taking it really hard. I'm such a sensitive person that sometimes I do take it that way. But I think it's also worth remembering too, like when you're different and when you are black, there are a lot of publications where editors just won't get it. Like you could yeah. be pitching some old white person who just literally has no idea what you're talking about. Yeah. And I think that's all the more reason to pitch other places. And I think also being open to opportunities in places where you didn't necessarily think you wanted a story to go, that type of thing is good. Mm -hmm. Like reminded of this quote about going where you're loved, mm -hmm. you know, and where you're like, go to the editors that really want to work with you. You don't yeah. need to sort of bang at the doors of the people who keep rejecting you if they keep rejecting yeah. you. I feel like that's something I've learned in the last several months. Yeah, 100%. That is such like, that's so amazing. And this idea that like, um, not just as like a person of color, but like, we're black, we have our own style and people just may not like get it, they may not understand it. And I think like being okay and accepting that and realizing that it's not personal, I think is important. Yeah. Sorry, I was just like, I just gotta go back and like finish that. I'm thought. glad you brought that back. <laughs> I'm glad you brought that back. Um, my second question to you was just sort of like, how do you ask difficult questions, especially in environments where it feels like there's a bit of tension or your guest is tense and kind of uncomfortable? I do a lot of research. I want to know what somebody has said um, in prior interviews that they've done. Have they talked about money before? Is that yeah. something that we don't know at all? And then I like to, like, I sit down and write down my questions a lot of times, like pen on paper. And sometimes I am typing them. Usually like 
pen on paper and I try, I basically will kind of cut down until I know the question. Yeah. If I'm going to be asking you about money also because I'm uncomfortable, I'm a person who tends to be uncomfortable talking about it. I want to know exactly how I'm going to ask you the question. It's not something like I'm not going to fumble my way through that question. I might fumble my way through other questions, even if I've prepared for an interview. I know that if that's the thing that I'm going to struggle asking you about, I need to be ready. I need to have practiced how to ask that question. And I also Mm -hmm. think you should be direct about it. Mm -hmm. Um, Also very often for journalism, at least what I was taught was to sort of ask those harder questions last. So you've gotten everything else that you need in the interview. Yeah. <laughs> and somebody that's just in case they're not like, I'm done, I'm done. Right. Yeah, you know, it's like you don't want somebody to walk off in a fit at question two when you haven't done your interview. Yeah. Um, but I think I think the answer is to be direct and to keep it short, which I am not doing in answering this question. But I think you can just ask people really directly, like, hey, are you comfortable yeah. telling us? how much you make doing this. And if you're not comfortable, like what can you tell us about like your finances? Yeah. Which I feel like is a great segue for me to answer that question. I, I don't know how much I make because I just started freelancing. (laughs) (laughs) So I'm trying to figure that out, but I, depending on the publication, I might ask for like a dollar a word or $2 a word. Mm. Um, And then if it's sort of a heavier lift, then I'll, I, consult a lot of times with friends who are editors who know better than I do just about uh, what they think I should ask for. Cause I'm really bad at that stuff. Like I never learned that I really struggle with it. And then I get uncomfortable and I get nervous when I'm asking. And then I worry that I'm going to lose the opportunity if I ask for too much, which is not what happens that hasn't happened yet. Yeah. Um, Yeah. So I, I like to sort of talk to different people and see what, what's possible, but I'm just so new to freelancing at this point that I really mm-hmm. don't know, but ask me in a year and I will gladly tell you how much <laughs> I'm making. <laughs> yeah, no, for sure. And are you, are you like only working with, are you approaching publications that you'd want to work with? Or are you approaching publications that you feel like build your portfolio? I think sometimes when people start as freelancers, they are trying to do ideally the work that they would love to do but they're also trying to build their portfolio. They're also trying to build relationships and, and pay so be, their bills and pay their bills. Right. <laughs> um, and so it's just sort of like, what's been your approach and just like who you choose to work with. So I'm, that's a great question. I worked at the times on staff for over six years, which means that I don't have a, lo- a whole lot of other publications on my resume. So one of my goals kind of going forward is just writing for a lot more places. Mm-hmm. Um, my instinct a lot of times, if I have an idea is to pitch the times because I, that's where I know people yeah. that I've worked with and I'm trying really hard to expand that network and yeah. sort of just go to more places. Yep. Cause I think what I need is that variety. And I mentioned earlier that one of the things I'm loving about the cut is learning a different style of writing and just have learning to have more of a voice. And I'm finding that really challenging, but also really exciting and really freeing. Yeah. Uh, But that just goes to say every publication sort of has a different voice and a different approach to stories. Yeah. And I pretty much only know one way. So that that's a big consideration for me. Like anybody that I can write for who can sort of show me a different way of doing this stuff. 
I'm probably going to want to write for. Yeah. One of the things I wanted to ask you in that regards, because you mentioned when you're pitching, if you pitch to um, a specific brand um, and they don't go for your story, you'll, you may pitch that same story to another brand. Um, What's it like for you building those relationships? Is it just cold? You're just looking on LinkedIn and finding who the point of contact is for pitching stories or um, how do you really go about, especially for creators who are trying to build relationships with brands and pitch for their ideas? Um, is this typically like a cold, you know, email? How are you typically doing this to see what kind of opportunities are available to pitch stories? I send a lot of cold emails. I have a lot of unanswered cold emails. <laughs> you gotta put yourself out there. Yeah. And, you know, if I don't hear back from somebody, I'll pitch someone else. Uh, What's the general title of the person that you're emailing? I will pitch um, like a features editor mm. or sort of a specific like music editor, culture editor, books editor, um, travel editor. Those are kind of my magic words because mm-hmm. those are the things that I want to be writing about. And a lot of places have somebody with one of those kinds of titles, right. you know. And sometimes if I don't know how a certain publication is set up or who's quite editing what, I always have a line in there that's just like, hey, I'm not sure if you're the right person, but I mm. wanted to da-da-da. That's like sort of at the start of my email. And then at the end of my email, I'll have a line that's like, and if you're not the right person for it, do you mind like letting me know who is or right. like passing on my, you know, sharing this with the right person? Mm-hmm. Um, and maybe I've just been lucky, but that's worked out quite well. Yeah. Um, yeah. Any advice for content creators who are, you know, looking in this new year to put themselves out there more, maybe for the first time um, and starting to reach out to different companies, different brands, um, but they've never done this before. Any advice that you have about what, what do you think it is about that first email that you send out that usually makes people end up responding to you the first time? I don't have any attachments because when I worked as an editor, I did not like having attachments, you know, just like the downloading process, not that the process is difficult, but just, I don't want to be downloading a bunch of stuff, put it all in the body of the email. Um, That's one thing. I also just try to pitch a specific idea, Mm -hmm. you know, not necessarily a whole topic, And for me being that I'm not like the most experienced journalist and all of that stuff, like I'm not pitching music editors to be able to do like a cover story. Like I'm not pitching somebody a Vogue cover story, for example, Mm -hmm. because that's just not where I'm at. Right. But I I think sort of keeping it within just being honest with yourself. Like what Mm -hmm. do you feel like you are really capable of really delivering on? Right. And you want to, I think saying in that email, like, here's what I bring to the table that I think makes me the perfect person to write this story. So you're doing your initial pitch in that first yeah. email. You're not using that email to say, hi, I'm a writer. But like in that email, you do a quick intro and you're immediately pitching an idea. If I'm emailing you, I'm pitching you. I actually just sent one email this week where I didn't pitch an idea and I regretted it right after. Cause I was like, let me just try this. Like, I think, you know, this might be the way to go. Mm-hmm. And then maybe 10 minutes later, I was like, no, I should have just pitched him the actual idea because I have an idea, (laughs) you know, because I think 
and maybe this is just showing my own anxiety, but I feel like in a lot of situations, you have sort of that one shot or a window of time. And if my first email to you doesn't really tell you what my ideas are, what I'm excited about doing right now, what's going to make you answer me? And then I also think about myself. I really struggle with just getting answering emails and texts and calls and getting back to people that when people pitch me things, I just want to know the thing. I'm like, just get straight to the thing. And you mentioned before that when you were pitching your editor, you already have all these things lined up that you're going to say why this is important. Can you kind of go through that with us again and kind of list a few things that you'd always include in that pitch to kind of give people an idea of things that are like super helpful that they should think of? Yeah. Um, I think of an example. Well, let's just say there's something, there's something happening in the world and I'm just excited. I'm excited about it. I really want to write about it. I feel like Mm -hmm. I'm a person, perfect person to write about it. I feel like I've got good sources for it. And I think I can bring a smart angle to it. Then, Mm -hmm. you know, I'll write the editor and say like, Hey, I really not sure if you've seen this thing, but it looks really interesting. And what's most interesting about it to me is X. And Mm. I want to write about that. And I want to talk to these kinds of people who I feel like are really going to be affected by this thing that's happening. And I want to talk to the person who said this crazy thing about it. Maybe they can like provide some insight about why they said that. Right. And then I think like it would be good to have this kind of expert voice in there. You know, like there's this sociologist who's obsessed with nostalgia. Like that's who I'm (laughs) going to talk to, you know? Yeah. Here are all of the pieces that are going to make the story. And Mm. I don't know what they're going to say. Like, right. Like even if you don't know what they're going to say, you can sort of anticipate that those are the people to support. Yeah. I love that because it's not just saying, introducing yourself and saying, I want to talk about your brand on my TikTok channel, like being able to say, I want to talk about your brand on my TikTok channel because of this. And my audience leans towards this. So I believe that us hitting on this particular feature and not just making it this general, you know, basic thing that everyone does, you know, and showing that unique angle or perspective that you can bring to it. I think that's something that sounds would sound super attractive to a brand. So that's really helpful. I think it's so smart too. what you said, like a magic word audience. I think about who's going to read my story. Right. I think about, you know, especially now that I'm at the cut, I'm like, I want to write things for smart women who are really funny and interested in all sorts of different things. Right. Like that's on my mind all the time as I'm writing. Um, yeah. I love that. When you go into an interview, are you coming up with any sort of like story arc? Are you thinking about where you want the conversation to start and go? Or is your perspective as a journalist just sort of like, I'm going in with like no expectations, almost just like searching for whatever is like there. So the truth, so to speak. (laughs) I want the truth. I definitely want the truth. Um, and I want people to feel like they can take our conversation, our interview in any direction. Um, I want people to feel like they can be honest. So I might go into, you know, something that happens a lot is I'll pitch an idea. For example, I'll be like, I think this is such a great story and I think it's going to look like this, right? Because this is how I'm seeing it. Mm -hmm. And then I go report it and it's the total opposite. 
Like, I read it wrong. That's actually not how it's happening. Those aren't the reasons why that thing is happening the way that it is. And that's fine. Like, I love when that happens. Like, it's kind of, you know, it's a switch in my mind. But I love when it happens because I think that's what reporting often leads you to is like once you're actually there and you're on the ground and you're seeing things, you're like, oh, this is not the way that I was imagining it. And great editors are always open to that. They're like, okay. And sometimes it is just that like once you're there and you've seen the thing, you're like, this is not a story. Sometimes that happens. I love that. Um, I'm so glad you were here and I feel like you've done an amazing job. Yes. Like (laughs) um, with your career, but just, I think, how you broke that down and helping us so that we can help creators. I do just want to ask you my last question, which is just sort of like, what is like your goal? What does success look like for you? What are you hoping sort of like happens in your career? Maybe we'll simplify it and say, what are you looking most forward to for the new year? I like that. Because that's a lot of pressure to think about career as a whole. We don't know what is in store. So maybe what are you most looking forward to next year? Can I answer both of those? Okay. So on the career question, I was the crazy person at 23 who was like, by 30, I will have done all of these things. And by 32, I will be a foreign correspondent. And this is my path. I'm going to be amazing at it. And I'm just going to work really, really hard. And I'm going to make it happen. And I feel like I was on the path to do that type, to do that kind of work. But then once I got to like the national correspondent part of it, I was like, this is not, this is not fun. And that wasn't anybody's fault, right? Mm. Like I had great, you know, great editors, great colleagues, but I just wasn't happy doing it. And then I sort of looked back and I was 29, or I guess I was like 28 when I started that job. And I was just like, oh my God, I feel like I'm kind of missing out on my twenties. Like I'm not yeah. I've missed out. Like I, I, I had a lot of good experiences. I had some fun, but when it comes to writing, I only know how to write in this one voice. I only know how to report for this one place and it's a great place, but I, I got to get more experience. I sort yeah. of started to see the value of that. So in terms of how I see my career going forward, I don't, I'm trying to take the total opposite approach in my thirties. I turned 30 a few months ago and I just want to allow myself to try different things and not be scared if something doesn't work out. I'm like, okay, we can drop it. Like it was, it was good while it was good. We can keep it moving. I think as long as I'm writing, I'll, I'll be good. Like that's what I'm excited to do for the next however many years is just to write a lot of different kinds of things and try different things like podcasts. (laughs) (laughs) That's amazing. Thank you so much for joining us. Yes. Thank you. Really, really appreciate it. Thanks, guys. Thanks for having me and for letting me talk and talk and talk. And people can't see it, but I really talk with my hands. (laughs) Yeah, we love it.